Let's pray together, church. Father, we come before you asking for your spirit to move, asking for you to work, asking, oh God, for your word to have an impact on who we are. And Lord, we are grateful for your spirit who is ever with us. Conform us, O oh God, make us more holy today. Make us more mindful of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can remember several years ago, uh, I was leading the youth at that time, and Clay Wilcoxon was in the youth group. And, uh, and, I, I, and some of you may have heard this story, but uh, I had a challenge of who could drink the large glass of sweet tea the fastest. And, and, and so I, I poured the tea in two glasses, and it was, it was Clay and it was Sean Champagne. And they were there, and, and I poured the, the sugar in, I stirred it all up, and uh, said, one, two, three, and they go to town, and all of a sudden, Sean stops drinking. He was like, oh, but Clay, Clay's going to win. So Clay goes, 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 and finishes that glass of sweet tea off. Well, what I didn't tell them in a, in a pretty bad way was it, it wasn't sugar that I poured into the tea. It was, it was salt. Clay spent about the next 30 minutes throwing up on the church lawn. And, and that was the last uh, prank I ever pulled. I felt so bad, so bad after that. Um, Bitterness. You think about bitterness. And, and what bitterness does to the soul is, is it's like a poison almost. Uh, we're from South Louisiana. We know what it means to purge crawfish. All of us, right? You make them so sick with a, a poison that they throw up. Literally. That's what they do. And that's what, unfortunately, my friend Clay did. Bitterness, when it gets enriched or enriched and deep into our soul, ingrained into our soul, it causes us to not be right. And it causes a revolt physically, spiritually. This morning, uh, doing something a bit different on an Easter Sunday morning, but I hope and pray that it will be something that, that will impact you. Uh, you have come to church on a, on a $10 day, and I don't want to give you a $5 sermon. So we're going to be a little bit late getting out, guys. But be ready, because I think the word the Lord has for us is, uh, is worth it. Uh, if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to, uh, to the book of Ruth. And uh, yes, this is an Easter sermon from the book of Ruth, and, and I think you'll see why as we continue and get into the story. But, but we're going to start out about 1,300, 1,200, 1,300 years before Jesus came. And, and this is a long story this morning. Not, not a long sermon, but a long story because, because we've got a lot of time to cover. There was a family in deep trouble because they were in a, in a place that had no food. And, and of course, back in the day, they called it a what? A famine. There was no food. 
And so you have Elimelech and, and Naomi and their family that, that says we need food. And, and so they, they had to do something. And not only did they have no food, but they were in a, in a place where what the Bible says is everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And, and what that means in our vernacular today is everybody just did what they wanted. And I don't know if, if you've ever seen a society where everybody just did what they wanted, but it doesn't end up well. It ends up where, where if you got the biggest gun, you can do whatever you want. If you don't have the biggest gun, you end up doing what the guy with the biggest gun wants to do. And that we see the stories. And, and church, many of you are reading through the Bible with us, and, and you've read the book of Judges. What happens? It's horrible. I mean, you just read the stories. They're horrible stories. Things that should not even be named in mixed culture or in mixed company. And that's where she lived. And she had no food. And they had no food. So, so they pick up and they're going to move. And we pick that up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Look at this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and the man... And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went up to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of their two sons, Mahlon and Chileon. And they were Ephrathites from, what city? From Bethlehem. We know that city. In Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Both Mahlon and Chileon died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the fields of Moab, in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return from the land of Moab, going back to Bethlehem, back to the land of Israel. Now, when most people read or, or teach or study this book of Ruth, there's a lot of emphasis on Ruth and, and for good reason. But this morning, this Easter Sunday morning, I'd like to focus more attention on, on a different plot. And that is the plot of, of Naomi. I believe she's got something for us today that ties into the cross and the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to show you this. So here we, we pick up with Naomi, her husband dead, her two sons dead, and she's left with two women that are not blood relatives to her. And, and so she, uh, they're heading back. One of the daughter-in-laws, Orpah, Ruth, or Naomi rather, tells them, look, y'all go find new husbands. Y'all are young. Go live your lives. Don't worry about me. I'm going home. And if you've never heard the story, one of the daughter-in-laws leaves. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, says, no, I'm making a vow unto God. I am sticking with you. 
So we pick it up in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And if you're not familiar with Hebrew, Mara means bitter or bitterness. Mara means bitter, anger, hurt, broken. I am not Naomi. I am bitter. And look specifically that she testifies the Almighty has brought this calamity upon me. My husband is gone. My two sons, my life, are, they're gone. My life is in ruins. I am Mara. I am bitter. There is a poison within me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. Who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Life has taken its toll on Naomi. Bitterness has set in to the point that that's how she wants to identify now. I am just bitter. And I wonder this morning if if any of you can relate. I wonder this morning if any of you have circumstances that have led you to a place of, of a salt water filled Stomach have led you to a place where you're you're hurt. Maybe you're angry at somebody. Maybe you've been wronged and you have a right to be upset. But that's calloused and turned into a bitterness that that is against someone that has begun to poison you and make you sick. Maybe there's great sorrow in your soul because of the way... Life has shaken out. Maybe you have the same thought. The Almighty has been bitter to me and my life is difficult. That's where Naomi was. But I want to call your attention about 1,300 years after Naomi for a moment if I can. Imagine the bitterness that comes from living a life that is right and good. Giving yourself to helping those around you. To healing those who are hurt. To speaking the truth on God's behalf. Imagine giving your life and not not taking anything for your own self. But but being a servant whose, whose purpose was to seek and to save the lost. And then... And then, imagine losing all of your friends and being betrayed. In fact, let me, let me read it to you from the scripture itself. Matthew 26, verse 31 says this. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Then Jesus said, But after I am raised up, I will go to you before you into Galilee. And Peter stood up and answered him. Peter answered him, 
Though they all fall away from because of you, I now never fall away. And Jesus said to Peter, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Oh, so real, isn't it? And then Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went to them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be very, help me out church, he began to be very what? Sorrowful. And I want us to look at how this sorrow has, it will now come upon the Lord Jesus. And as Jeff read that earlier in our service, that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with many griefs, that even Jesus, the Son of God, was acquainted with great sorrows. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here, watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and and Jesus prayed, saying, my father, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus humbles himself before his father in this moment. And he came to the disciples and and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, Unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came, he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Imagine giving yourself and giving yourself and giving yourself and your closest friends whom you've asked to pray in your stead. And instead, they sleep. Imagine where Jesus is in this moment. Verse 44. So leaving them again, he went and prayed a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said, sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand. The son of man is, help me out, church. The son of man is what? He's betrayed. Imagine the sorrow. He is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas came up, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd of swords, a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss, this is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Imagine the sorrow of having the fullness of the wrath of all of those around you with swords, clubs, angry soldiers, bitter and angry high priests coming 
and pouring out their wrath upon you. Let me read to you, if I may, from verse 63. But Jesus remained silent before the high priest. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You're going to kill me, but I will be raised in glory to rule and to reign. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? Those around him answered, he deserves death. And they spit in his face. They struck him and some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Imagine the sorrow of being betrayed by the people in leadership in the religious community that God had created to glorify and worship your own name. Not only before the high priest, though, but before Pilate. Chapter 27, verse 11. Now, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. If you say so would be our vernacular today. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer. Not even to a single charge. Imagine the sorrow. Let me continue reading the story of of the Lord Jesus in verse 27. Imagine the sorrow of being mocked by soldiers. Men who were trained to hurt other men and feeling the mockery. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before them. They stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and putting a reed on his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. They took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped away the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Imagine the sorrow of being mocked by soldiers and then being mocked by the lowest in the society. Those sentenced to death. So they raised Jesus on a cross and in verse 38 Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. Those who were passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Christ, the Son of God, come down from the cross 
So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in that same way. Imagine the the pain of being betrayed by your friends. By being mocked. By being raised on a cross. And then imagine the aloneness of being on the cross and forsaken by your own father. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine the sorrow of being alone, forsaken. By the Father for the first time in all eternity. Imagine the sorrow. Some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling for Elijah. And one of them. At once ran, took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other says, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. It is finished. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top. To bottom, And the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. These were the first signs of life to come from the horrific events that were passing. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. When the centurions and those who were with him kept watch over Jesus, how they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And they said, truly, this man was the son of God. As you can see, Jesus was a man of sorrows, as Isaiah prophesied. Jesus was a man with with great grief down deep in his soul. But friends, I want to share with you this morning. Easter is meaningful because the sorrow was not meaningless. Let's say that again. Easter is meaningful because those sorrows were not meaningless. 
God had purpose in the great sorrow that his son received. God had great purpose and plan with the, the great tragedies that came upon those days. The sorrows, the bitterness, the sadness that comes to all of God's people has a purpose and it is not a meaningless sorrow. The sorrow is not the end. In fact, the sorrow is often what leads us to the new beginning. And it is where new life often begins. The Lord's favor shines through this darkness. But hear me. But you have to be willing to see it. The Lord's favor shines often in the darkest places. But you have to be willing to see it. And so I speak to many of you this morning. I think we've all gone through difficult seasons. Nights that we couldn't sleep. Days when we're just distracted thinking through what could I have done better? What could we have done differently? Please hear me when I say this. Oftentimes the Lord leads us through the valley of the shadow of death to get us to the cross of Christ. It is Christ that brings victory. And as Mike shared this morning in such a wise way in our Sunday school class, you know, it was night when the ladies left to anoint Jesus' body on resurrection day. It was, it was nighttime. But when Jesus rose, it was day. The light had shone. And that transition from darkness to light as they began to experience the living Savior is symbolically what happens to us, is it not, Christian? There is a darkness, but then there is light when Jesus peers into our soul and opens our eyes and gives us hope beyond the bitterness. Hope beyond the famine. Hope beyond the loss of our loved ones. This is the work of Jesus Christ. And so, let's go back if we can. We started in a land with a famine. We started with a lady named Naomi. And so let's go back and see that even a bitter woman can find hope at the hands of the Almighty. Ruth chapter 2. Ruth come, comes home after she gets, gets back into Bethlehem and, and Naomi says, look, go, go find somewhere to work today. Go glean some fields. Go, go pick up what's left behind. By the harvesters. And so she comes home. Not with what you would normally come home from gleaning. But she comes home with an arms full. More than she could probably even carry. And she comes home to Naomi. And Naomi says, what? Let's pick it up in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. She came out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And, and watch this. Oh, the words of the Bible are so powerful for us. And watch this. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. The dawn is coming. 
The light is shining. The new day is here for Ruth and Naomi because she just happened by God's sovereign goodness to be in the right field at the right time with the right man because of the right God. We pick it up in verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her when she comes home, arms full of food, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Finally, something good has happened. God has brought something good upon us. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked today and said, The man's name with who I worked today was Boaz. And Naomi said to her, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. We can only think that she may have been calling herself the dead because that's how she felt. And Naomi said to her, this man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. So church, let me give you give me give you some background because this is important and this draws us back to the cross. What was a redeemer? Y'all still with me this morning? Are y'all still with me? If not, come on back. What was a redeemer? Because Ruth had just met the Redeemer, the Old Testament Redeemer. A Redeemer was someone who was supposed to carry on life in their family. What does that mean? Well, well, the ancient Jewish system, if you remember when they went into Israel, they each got plots of land. Y'all remember that? And that land stayed with the family no matter what. That land was assigned to a family. And even if somebody came in and and they had to sell their land to to be able to get food or or pay their bills, that land would be reset every 50 years back to the family that owned it. But what about an instance like this where you had nobody to have children? Who got the family? Because that family would, would die out, right? No children? Nobody to carry on and work the land and, and do what, what they're supposed to do. So the Lord and his law, he said, no, Leverite law. We're, we're giving to where your nearest relative will come and produce life in your family. We'll have children on behalf of your family name. And this is a redeemer. It was meant to bring life. You hear me, church? The redeemer is meant to bring life. Life. Naomi. Ruth. Were about to be the recipients of life from their redeemer. In chapter three. Naomi sends Ruth and I'm going to read just this first part. Then Naomi said to her mother-in-law. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Go and find rest in your Redeemer. And then she sends her to go and proclaim her love to Boaz. And read the story today if you can. It's such a fantastic story. But you will find rest in your Redeemer. Here is the bitter woman. The woman poisoned by her bitter that she changes her name and even... Calls herself dead. 
saying, go find rest, find life in your Redeemer. We get to chapter 4, verse 14. Oh, y'all dial back in. Dial in right here. Ruth has a child. The Redeemer does what the Redeemer does, and he brings life into this family that was dead. And then the women begin to talk. And listen to what they say. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, who has not left you in this day without a Redeemer. Look, and by His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer. Help me out, church. A restorer, what? Of life. Do you see it? The Redeemer is bringing life and a nourisher you of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth. The great Redeemer, God in heaven, provided a Redeemer to bring life into bitterness's soul. Fast forward. Jesus Christ A man of many sorrows. I want to proclaim to you that better than Boaz can do, Jesus Christ is that redeemer for us today. I don't think y'all heard me. Better than Boaz can do, Jesus Christ is our redeemer today. He is the one who brings life to dead man's souls. Jesus Christ, not only did, was he raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, he is still raising people from the dead today. And what we saw this morning is evidence of that. That there is life after bitterness. There is life after sorrow. Jesus bore our sorrows. And in his stead, he paid for all of the griefs and all of the sins of a sinful man like me and a sinful soul like yours. Jesus Christ saves sinners that repent. Church, help me out. Jesus Christ saves sinners that repent. And so if you're here this Easter Sunday morning and you are bound up by your sorrows, maybe you are overwhelmed by your grief, maybe you want to rename yourself bitterness or maybe fear, Or maybe confused. Or wherever you are this morning. I want you to know. That Jesus Christ is the life giver. That Jesus Christ gives us hope beyond our sorrow. Beyond our bitterness. Beyond our confusion. Jesus Christ is still raising people from the dead. And spiritually You may may have been lost and covered up in your rebellion against God. You may have tried to treat your sorrows with a substance, with a person, with a distraction. But friends, I want to share with you this morning, the only solution for your problems and for your sin is a Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ.
Matthew 28, verse 5 through 7 says this. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. But he is not here. He is risen. And he said, come to the place where he's lay. Now quickly go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. One of those ones they went and told was a man named Peter. And I'll close today with a word from Peter. Peter the Apostle said this in his letter. Peter said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. Oh, hear me. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a living bitterness, not a living confusion, not a living sadness, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friend, the the Christian or the Bible says, rather, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect glory. The Bible tells us that we are fallen before Him. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death and eternal separation and damnation. That God has created a place called hell for those who do not know Him and who will not repent of their sin and willingly come into the kingdom. But the great news that I have for you on this Easter Sunday morning, 2023, is anyone who comes to me, Jesus said, I will never by any means cast away. And I wonder if your soul maybe has been pricked this morning by the Spirit of God and you need to respond. And you need to say, yes, Jesus, I believe. I need to follow you. I need to walk away from my sin and my unbelief and I need to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe you would bow your head. And cry out to Jesus, Lord, save my soul. I need to change. Change me, Lord. Easter 2023. Jesus is alive. Are you born again? Naomi found new life. Have you? Jesus was raised from the dead. Will you open your eyes? Are you willing to see? And are you willing to respond that Jesus is the Lord? Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you Easter Sunday recognizing that you bring new life, new hope. Or that you are our Redeemer. And better than any son, better than any daughter, you can give us eternal life. Father, we ask if there are any souls this morning that need to confess sin and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Lord, stir their hearts this morning. Transform them. Give them a new heart, a new mind, and a new hope. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We've come to our time of response this morning. We'll be singing a song. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll be around, guys, after service. If you'd like to talk or pray or have any spiritual business to do, I'd be glad to talk with you through that. If you just need to cry out to God, you do that. I invite you to stand if you're able and sing. Wherever he leads, I'll go. We'll respond.